0: Hi, friends. Welcome. Come on in. Have a seat. Obviously, you can't take that one because Sam is sitting in that one. Once again, we have a special notes with the narrator for you on... Ba-ba-bum... Monsters. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So, as we've heard in the podcast, we have run into, I believe, two big monsters. One of which, more recently, being the Kraken.
1: Yeah. That's big enough for several monsters. <laughs> Actually, each tentacle is kind of a monster in and of itself. It's it, a lot of monsters.
0: It was, it was a lot of monsters for a very little ship.
1: Not that little.
0: It's a fine ship. It is. A, La Rosa Blanca is a fine ship. She's just not, you know, big. Anyway. Wow!
1: <laughs> but then, of course, prior to that, you had other monsters, yes? Prior
0: to that, I did have other monsters. I had the Technically, it wasn't a mechanical monster, but, you know, the snake in the temple mm-hmm. on Makaro. The
1: ghosts in uh, the bucket the of blood. The
0: ghosts in the bucket of blood were definitely monsters. <laughs> that is by no means the only monsters you will see. Well,
1: monsters that the players have had to, like, roll risks against. There is one big ol' monster that's been kind of threaded through a little bit the whole way.
0: Yeah, I think you all know to whom we're referring.
1: We dare not speak his name.
0: No, we don't. Nope. Nope, we don't speak his name. Lest
1: we see a dark ship on the horizon.
0: Yeah, nope. Ah, Moving on.
1: (laughs) But yeah, monsters. They're cool.
0: Yeah, they're pretty neat. And pretty easy, actually.
1: Though you might not know that to read about them in the book. The book tells you all about villains and how they work, and then you get to the monsters chapter and it's like, they're like villains, but they're not. (laughs) Again, 7C is one of those games where I had to practice and think and learn over time to figure out how to handle all this stuff. And so we thought it would be good to go into stuff about monsters. If you want to use monsters, how are they different from villains? How do they operate? what pitfalls there are with them and just how to manage them as a thing because it's easy enough to say i want monsters in my game you don't want to just use them like more villains necessarily though you could and you could use them as just consequences the snake was largely just a consequence but there's this whole couple pages about monster stuff and how do you use this and so that's the point of this notes is to delve into what the book says about monsters And what thoughts we have on that.
0: Yeah, so let's head into this monster nomicon. Please
1: open your textbooks.
0: Open your book of turmoil to page 197.
1: Technically to page 196, but there's a cool picture of a skeleton there instead of a page number. Not
0: just a skeleton, a spooky pirate skeleton.
1: It is all of those things, yes. (laughs) So the first few paragraphs about that are talking about Here's monsters. Here's what monsters are. We will assume that you have an idea of what monsters are in general. It's the making a monster section where we delve into the nitty gritty.
0: By the way, for those listening at home, monster is capitalized with a capital M. We're not talking about little shits. We're talking about monsters.
1: Just as there are capital H heroes and capital V villains, there are capital M monsters in 7th C.
0: A monster is an inhuman creature that sees you and everyone you have ever known as prey.
1: This is the big, big takeaway. Villains are bad people. We know this. Villains are the worst people you can meet. However, villains are still people. Monsters throw that out the window. There's a bit in Bram Stoker's Dracula, the original novel where they talk about Dracula, this thing is not human, not even beast. And that's a capital T thing. This is where you can get into a different kind of fight, a different kind of bow. Because there's only so much you can do to a villain when you're trying to stay heroic. And you've talked about corruption and stuff before. I have, in fact. People we can understand. One of the things about villains in the game is a villain is a hero who just took a left turn somewhere along the way. As
0: Joker has famously said, all it takes is one bad day.
1: Even though the rest of that comic was proving him wrong. But every hero and villain went through similar trials on their way, whereas the hero kept to that internal moral compass. The villain discarded it. Monsters are different. Being a monster is not typically a matter of choice. It is a matter of nature. This is scorpion and the frog territory.
0: For those who don't know, could you tell the story
1: of the scorpion and the frog? The gist of it is it's rush hour down at the river and the scorpion really needs to get across the river. And he's like, hey, frog, can you be my Uber driver? And the frog's like, no, because you have a big pointy sting and you're going to kill me. And he says, yeah, but if I do that, I'll die too. I'm not an idiot. And the frog's like, oh, fair point. And he lets him climb on. And they're halfway across. And the scorpion stings him and kills him. He's like, why? And he's like, I guess I'm a scorpion. Damn it. Monsters are what they are because they are monsters. And that can make them a little less predictable than the self-serving villain.
0: Monsters prowl the darkness. They lurk in the deepest and darkest waters. They hunt at night, swooping through the darkness on wings that block out the moon. They rise from their graves, hungering for the flesh of the living.
1: Are you likely to encounter a monster while grocery shopping for lettuce? Probably not. Part of this is theme. You want it to be spooky when monsters show up. But also, there's a reason why a lot of people in Thea don't think monsters exist. It's because monsters are out at the fringe. They are known to be real by the people they prey on, who often don't get a chance to tell anyone about them, or are too shaken from the experience to tell the story reliably, or they are known by outcasts, people who are themselves shunned by civilized society, or heroes who keep poking into business that they shouldn't. So, monsters aren't really part of the mundane, they are part of the spooky, supernatural, shadowy area around the safe little world we live in. So if your story is heading into those places, monsters are a good fit. Or, if your party is already wary of monsters, you can really upend things by bringing monsters into the bright, shiny places.
0: Creating a monster is a simple and straightforward process.
1: Please, don't overwork yourself creating a monster. If you take nothing else from this episode, keep that sentence. If you start getting lost in monstrous qualities and trying to figure oh, what should it strengthen, stop yourself. It shouldn't be that hard. Say, what is the simplest way to make this work and run with it? Zoe, how long did it take you to create that Kraken?
0: All of five minutes.
1: Yeah, why?
0: Well, I gave it tentacles because it's Kraken. It has tentacles. It has aquatic, which means it rolls five extra dice while in the water. It just made sense for the monster to have these things. Based off of the narrative, I gave it some extra stuff that you're not going to find in the book. I took the chitinous quality, and instead of giving it a tough hour to shell, I gave it ship
1: armor. And we'll get into some of this as we get later in the text, but the important thing here is don't overcomplicate it. Just do what makes sense. Uh, And we'll get into why shortly. Let us continue.
0: If the monster is impressive and dangerous alone, similar to a villain, assign it a strength value to determine its capabilities. Monstrous villains usually don't have influence and instead operate entirely on strength.
1: So this is interesting. Villains have influence, which means they can do all the influence tricks.
0: Yes, which we have yet to get into. That will be a whole nother Big Notes episode. But
1: basically, every bad guy has a strength thing, which is how many dice they roll when they go mix it up with heroes and try to do stuff. Villains also have influence, which is them planning, pulling strings, using the intangible power they have, the social power. And that lets them do cool stuff. It lets them discover information remotely. It lets them bribe people. It lets them undermine the heroes, recruit other villains or brutes, lets them escape a scene because, aha, I planned for this, whoop. Monsters are more intimate. Monsters do stuff for themselves.
0: It's based more off of instinct.
1: Yeah. The Kraken doesn't send out its spies. If it needs something done, it shows up and does it. If they want information, the monster kidnaps a witness. They literally grab someone in the night. If they want to spy on the party, they don't send a spy, they creep up, they're outside the window. And that means the monster is more present, which means once you've introduced that a monster is involved, the monster could be anywhere. Use this to build dread and paranoia. Use this to get them watching the shadows, thinking about when the monster could strike next, because it's the monster that will be coming for them, because it's using strength instead of influence.
0: They also have monstrous qualities instead of advantages. Abilities that allow them to make use of their inhuman powers against heroes.
1: So, they don't have that villain resource of influence. They do have cool stuff. They got some neat shit. They're like advantages, but some of them are more potent. And they're typically tied to what this monster does narratively. I know that this vampire can turn into mist and can kind of get anywhere they want to go. Okay, teleporting. I can spend a danger point and they're there. Or they leave and you can't stop them. You can't stick a sword in the mist, it's gone. This gives them weird ways of interacting and gives them cool powers that the players might not expect. But also it gives you a hint of how to play them. The kraken is aquatic. Yes. Where are we going to fight the kraken? In the water. Cool. Dracula is nocturnal. When are we going to fight Dracula? Oh, at nighttime. Yes. Well, unless you manage to plan otherwise. The monster's qualities can tell you these are the strengths of the creature. This is its home turf or its home field advantage. It's going to use those. So if you're fighting a salamander, it's this fire snake. It's probably in a volcano because it doesn't care. The fire is fine. It's perfectly comfortable. You're not. Hmm. It will play to those strengths. And so if you're trying to figure out how to use your monster, look at the qualities that it has. A
0: monster that was once human, such as a vampire or a werewolf, has all the influence and advantages of a human villain in addition to monstrous qualities. But an inhuman beast, a sea creature or a giant otherworldly snake, for example, has only monstrous qualities.
1: This lets us know two things. One, people can become monsters. Two, it is very, very bad when this happens.
0: Let us read from the Book of Turmoil. Oof.
1: This is Jonah level. This is a bad scene because now we get those human motivations mixed in with that predatory hunger. We get all of the supernatural qualities plus... All the tricks that influence can do. It can have spies. It can bribe people. This is the threat that Dracula presented, which was he was about to infiltrate human society. He was going to have bankers. He was going to have lawyers. He was going to have all these things that as a predatory monster, he did not have for centuries. When he was a monster, he was a threat to Transylvania. With all the rest of that, Dracula becomes a global threat. And that's the whole point of that book, is they're trying to prevent that from happening. And so we have yet to talk about villainous schemes. Mm -hmm. But adding in monstrous hunger onto human ambition leads to some really scary plans for the heroes to try to thwart.
0: There is no limit to the number of monstrous qualities that a monster can have. If the vampire baron can teleport through a combination of dark magic and his vampiric gifts, give him the teleporting quality. This is
1: my bread and butter. I love stuff like this. See, but I feel like a lot of DMs, especially ones coming from more simulationist system background, D and D GMs, where you're thinking about game balance, and they have a way of balancing villains. You know, they get a certain number of advantages based on their strength. Cool. Here, monsters qualities. Here's all the stuff you can do. Pick. Go, add however many you want. And it feels weird if you're coming from that background. It's like, well, how is this balanced? And the answer is, mechanically, it's it's not. not. It just isn't. And you shouldn't try. You shouldn't worry about that because the way it is balanced is through narrative. Yeah, Dracula can regenerate. I keep going to Dracula.
0: He's a very iconic villain.
1: We all know who Dracula is, right? Could... I'm
0: pretty sure we all know who Dracula is. If you don't, go to the bookstore, go pick it up.
1: Yeah. Thing with Dracula is he can do all this stuff. You know, he can regenerate harm. And he can turn into bats. And Ooh. wolves. He can throw a horse at you. He's, like, terrifying. But you get him during the day, and he's in a box waiting to be murdered.
0: Which mechanically means that he's helpless.
1: Yeah, all day long. And that's the thing. It doesn't matter if this big, hulking monster can punch through your head if fire bad. (laughs) And that's the deal here. You balance it narratively. The heroes can bring themselves to a point in the narrative by learning about the monster, studying it, spying on it, or looking at the evidence of its attacks to find out how to beat it. And we know players have stories, which means they can steer that narrative wherever they want. They can have a story step. I find out one weakness of the monster, and then, boom, you are placed in a position where you can learn these things, with or without cost, depending on how rolls go and how many raises he spent towards consequence. Maybe the cost is high, but you will learn a weakness If you put it in a story step, then you have a way of fighting back. You can nullify these things. Maybe there's a way to get the kraken out of the water. Yikes. I don't know how, (laughs) but maybe sufficiently powerful winds, big old water spout rocking it up into the sky. Who knows? Maybe
0: some juicy enough bait. Yes. will lure it out of the water.
1: Get it up on land. Maybe Bugs Bunny dresses as a lady kraken and says, Yoo-hoo! Whatever. <laughs> they aren't balanced mechanically because they can be balanced narratively. Mm-hmm. Because that's the heart and soul of Seven City.
0: In fact, it is.
1: You didn't have to worry about your players not being able to really fight ghosts very well. Because there are ways to fight ghosts.
0: There are ways to fight ghosts.
1: You introduced some in I, that scene. did. I did
0: oh, I want to use this thing. It's like, okay, cool. You throw it through a ghost and the ghost bursts into fire and you're like, oh, hey, that, that thing, did, yeah, yeah, that.
1: Yeah. Do that. And that wasn't as much a product of saying, I have created fairy fire and I've created this rule that says when you use fairy fire against a ghost, you didn't have to write that. It's narratively, this stuff works against ghosts. That is a valid use of arrays. I hurt the ghost with the fairy fire. So that's the big monsters. Let's get into the next bit.
0: If the creature hunts in large groups, such as a pack of fiendish wolf-like creatures or a horde of shambling corpses, you treat it similar to a human brute squad. The monster's quality for a monster squad replaces their special type, such as assassin or duelist, and typically a monster squad will have only one or two qualities, but treat that as more of a guideline
1: than a rule. Exactly. We also haven't really delved into brutes yet, have we?
0: We have not. We will, absolutely. That's there have been a few introductions of brute squads. I believe the ghosts were a small brute squad, mm-hmm. but they were easily taken care of. Brute squads are goons, mooks, mercs, whatever you want to call them. They're the little, like, 1HP mobs that you throw at heroes to delay them or thwart them. Yeah. But they take one hit and they're down. Yeah.
1: When the villain yells GET THEM! The people trying to get them, those are the brutes. And when they are surrounded by incompetence, those are the incompetence <laughs> right there. So, monster squads are used like brutes are, which we'll get into later, but the main thing is they can act as consequences on the scene, or they can act as a direct threat to like injure the heroes, or they can be a tool of the villain to get their dirty work done. But, there's some other ways to use them in the context of, I need to figure out how to beat this villain. This is a way for you to hint at what kind of monster your big monster is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh no, wolves are keep being sent after. I wonder if we're dealing with a werewolf. And then you can start thinking about that. Or maybe the brutes have a similar monstrous quality. And so that can be a useful narrative trick for foreshadowing what the big monster can do, which is another way of getting your players the information they need to counteract it. Also, just like monsters, monster squads have whatever qualities make sense. hmm Don't worry about balancing them. Again, they're going to die. In a game that I ran for you, I had a brute squad with Kiteness. In normally these one-hit goons, I could spend a danger point, and suddenly these guys, because of their crab-like carapaces, could stand toe-to-toe with a duelist mm-hmm. until he could figure out a way to break through their armor and get to them, which resulted in the creation of a new dueling style in that game, actually. Which is rad as <laughs> It was super good. This lets you actually have an encounter with a brute squad that might be scary or memorable. Monsters are great for building horror elements into the game, and that is one aspect of how you can do so. Are there any monstrous qualities we want to call out specifically?
0: So in the Atabaeon, there are monsters in the Atabaean Sea.
1: The Sea of Monsters?
0: The Sea of Monsters,
1: oh, I believe. There's monsters
0: there? There yes, in fact, there are monsters there. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Fun fact.
1: Like the energy drink or
0: no, not the energy drink. Oh. No. No. We wish it was the energy drink. <laughs> oh, we have tea. So in the core rulebook, which is where we get most of our monster qualities, there are the base amount of qualities.
1: Also, quick note, if there isn't a monstrous quality for what you want your thing to do, just make one. Either, oh, it's in an environment where it's better at doing stuff, I give it extra five dice. Or, I want it to do this creepy thing, spend a danger point, it can do that creepy thing. Mm -hmm. Keep it simple and straightforward. Do not think too hard. Don't.
0: So in the Atabayan Sea, in the Sea of Monsters, there are certain extra special qualities that those monsters have. So as I head into the Pirate Nations book, which is where I run most of what you're going to hear in the podcast, there are four new monstrous qualities. I used all of these on the Kraken. <laughs> those being colossal, destructive, slippery, and suffocating.
1: Colossal just means is big. Is big. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it has double the normal amount of dramatic wounds.
0: Mm-hmm. Destructive means that it can break something. Much like how a hero advantage, I believe it's called Wrecking Ball, can break something. Or it can
1: take a limb. Quote, spend a danger point to destroy an item or non-vital body part on a hero.
0: Yeah. Most of the time, the heroes choose to destroy something.
1: Oh, you let them choose? I let them choose. Oh, well, that's so kind Isn't of that you. nice? Oh. <laughs> In Jesse's case, there might be a limb he's not. <laughs> not too worried about losing.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, that one comes back.
1: Oh, no. The hand came back. <laughs> the very next day.
0: Mm-mm.
1: Then there's Slippery, which pretty much is like the influence thing to get out of a scene. It's the get-out-of-this-scene-free card. Or not free, spend a danger point. But just, whoop! Bye! Cloud of Ink, off it goes. God, bye.
0: Yeah, fun fact, the kraken is not an octopus. It also had some squid qualities. Listen, I can do whatever the fuck I want with my monsters, alright? Don't come at me, you biologists out there. (laughs) And then it had suffocating, which we saw first fucking hand. No. Oh, I made a joke.
1: (laughs) No, no. (laughs) No,
0: you're not going to get No. Okay. We saw this on screen when the Kraken flicked Jesse off the helm and into the ocean. It grabbed him and pulled him into the deep. I basically did that by not only his story step saying, I get dragged into the depths, but I spent a danger point so that one of the heroes just got dragged into the water. And they would have been dealt double damage for the rest of the round. However, since it was a story step, and the story step clearly said, I nearly die in the depths, I didn't need to deal damage to him. It was more of a narrative thing. And we heard it. He nearly died.
1: Exactly. If you're dealing with big ship monsters, definitely take a look at Pirate Nations page 193 Mm to pepper those in as needed. There's one other big one that I think we should talk about, which is fear. Oh, yes. Or fearsome is the monstrous quality. This is an outlier. Pretty much all the other monstrous qualities boost the bad guy Mm -hmm. in some way. It gives them extra options of doing terrible things to the heroes, sure. Or lets them escape or gives them bonus dice or things like that. Fearsome is different. Fearsome gives the monster ranks of fear. Capital F. What does fear do? Every rank of fear removes one die from the dice pools of heroes who oppose it. It is one of the only dice penalties in the game. Given the game's whole trope of heroes are heroes and are amazing and do incredible things, it feels a little strange sometimes to do this. Fear is requires a bit of a light touch as a result. You should never make your players or your heroes feel like they're not heroes for using fear. This is supernatural fear. This is brainstem fear. This is a property of the monster and of the scene more than it is a failing of the heroes. And be sure to mention that. Talk about how unnatural this is. Talk about they're trying to do things and their body's just not obeying them because this thing is gripping them somehow with its presence because everybody wants to feel awesome. Yeah. And you don't want to take that away.
0: It's a primal instinct that humans have. We're animals just like everybody else. More intelligent animals, but animals nonetheless. And we all have that primary urge of fight or flight. That's what fear is. It's the flight being activated. This thing is supernatural. It's terrifying. It's bigger than me. It's eaten humans. It's shown me terrible things. It is triggering all of those primal instincts
1: to flee. If you rest your hand down on a hot object, you immediately withdraw your hand. It's instinctive. This is the same thing, but with your whole body. Your entire body is saying, we need to go. We need to leave. (laughs) We need to be elsewhere. We need to not be here. So that's something to keep in mind. Also, remind people that there are ways around this. Like any monstrous quality, there might be ways of counteracting that. If Dracula has terror going from him, maybe a holy symbol or garlic circumvents that. Maybe you're protected if you're warded in some way. Also... It takes a strength 10 monster to get three ranks of fear. That's three less dice, which is one hero point to aid an ally. Immediately we're knocked out by that. And there are virtues and things that help through. And you could potentially say that, what is it, iron will or indomitable will?
0: Yes, so that actually brings up a good point. That actually doesn't
1: work. Uh huh.
0: So let's take a look at that advantage. Yeah,
1: let's take a look. It says... Indomitable Will costs a hero point. After another character attempts to intimidate, seduce, or otherwise goad you, spend a hero point to automatically resist. It says character. And it says attempts. A fearsome monster isn't necessarily trying. No. (laughs) And so this is one of those situations that I feel like different GMs will rule differently. And I'm totally okay with that. I think in the past, I've been on the fence, and I think it might depend on the level of fear or the circumstances. Now, this also means, by the way, remember when we talked about monsters playing up their monstrous qualities? It's fairly likely a fearsome monster doesn't have to fight hard often. Mm. It may not be showing up to kill the heroes. It might be showing up to do one thing. I'm going to kidnap that mare. And leave. And so all it does is shows up very obviously, and then it just goes about its day and grabs the person and leaves because the heroes will be hard pressed to stop it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Especially if it does follow the rules of villains. You spend a danger point, and the players have to make 15s to make a raise. The fearsome quality says you can spend a danger point to. Double its fear rating. Bleh. So if you've got that strength 10 monster, it's only three fear. They could spend a hero point. You could say, well, I spent a danger point and it's double and I spent another danger point. It's 15s to make raises. Suddenly this one monster can grab what they need, do what they need to do, set the place on fire and leave. And it's all the heroes can do to just mitigate the consequences of that, let alone get anything else done. This is a situation where you can use fearsome as a matter of surprise. But next time, the heroes will know about it. They can plan for it. And when they come in with a plan, maybe you don't spend that danger point to double its fear or to have them make 15s, because it's not a shock. You can tailor how you play this, where you want the story to go. This is not to say that players might find innovative ways around it, They can obviously thwart it somehow. Never look at the numbers and say, oh no, that's not going to work because what are the characters going to do? The heroes are going to do something narrative. Encourage them to do something narrative. Tailor opportunities and consequences to match where you want things to go. And also just decide, do I want them to have a fighting chance in this initial encounter? Or is this not the final shot at this thing, so I don't have to play out a full action sequence? Mm -hmm. This doesn't have to be a big fight. That changes your priorities. But at the end, when the chips are down, when they've done their research, they've got their holy weapons, they've tracked it to its lair, then you can make that a memorable fight in whatever way you need to. In general, your heroes will be fine.
0: They'll be okay. They come up with strange and surprising ways to
1: thwart you as a GM, as I have learned. Do get consent before you lop off any limbs. Yes. It's only the polite thing to do. Also, before adding in the destructive quality to a monster at all, if you're planning to use it on limbs, make sure every player is okay with that stuff being in the game. If dismemberment is on someone's list of things they don't want in it, Maybe don't take that ability or just really be hard on the environment.
0: Yeah, just don't use that secondary bit of that ability. Yes.
1: So like everything, talk to your players. Just please,
0: and your GM. Just talk.
1: Okay? Know your players. If you want to add horror elements in the game, ask people what they want to see from horror elements in the game. Ask your players what their heroes are afraid of. Not what they themselves are afraid of. And then you can work that in to make the character scared, but not the player. And then we get to play out those cool stories.
0: Something that hasn't been brought up. Ask your players how they want their character to die.
1: Ooh, I think that might be a whole other note. That is a
0: whole other note, because we haven't touched upon character creation or the 20 questions at all. And we'll get to that. I promise.
1: So keep that in mind, though. Anything is okay to do to a hero if the player is on board. If they want to lose a hand, let them. If they want to die, let them. Just find a way to make it memorable and lead the story into interesting places. Monsters are an excellent tool to make those things happen. So that's monsters.
0: At least monsters from the mechanic side of 7C. But now it's story time, kids. Settle in, because we're headed to the Bucket of Blood. The Bucket of Blood was overflowing. Not with its namesake, but with people. There were waves of them four deep at the Grand Bar. Tables were full to bursting with patrons and mugs. More than one person was seen sitting in a stool. The tavern was bumping little charlotte wove through people with the expert grace of a dancer twisting and twirling with her tray heavy with drink she traded with sailors handing full tankards for empties and tried her best to get out of the way of trampling feet we floated in the shallows until one ventured near then dropped onto its back grabbing the big claws at the first joint where they couldn't snap at us said a man at a nearby table with several other sailors. He seemed to be regaling them a story, and Charlotte slowed her pace to better hear it. We rode on them, using the claws to steer, racing them until they were too tired to fight. After that, those who hadn't been lucky enough to snag a mount helped kill them, driving a long, sharp stick between their plates into vital areas. Then we flipped them over and... Dragged them back home for dinner.
2: <laughs> Are
0: you talking about the giant lobsters at the tail of Aragosta? Charlotte asked. The people at the table jumped at the sudden appearance of the mousy young woman. The very same, madame, said a Montaigne gent, tapping the ash of his small cigarette into a clamshell on the table. We were just exchanging stories. Would you perchance like to stay a while and listen? Judging by the sparkle in your eyes, these are ones you have not heard, no? Charlotte took a long look around the busy bar. She wanted to stay and listen, but she also had a job to do, and the bar had never been busier. Adetokumbo caught her eyes from the main bar, and he lifted his hands to his chest and made a motion as if snapping an imaginary stick at her, and then pointed to her. She brightened, "'nodded as much as she could "'and laid her empty tray on the table. "'It just so happens that I was sent on break. "'I'd love to, if you don't mind.' "'Charlotte's hands came together "'to begin the nervous ringing, "'but the gentleman only smiled "'and stood up from the bench, "'allowing her entrance to sit with them. "'It would be our pleasure. "'Come, sit.' "'Charlotte grinned and practically slid into the booth. "'So are all of you part of the same crew?' Are you lobster wranglers? What's the name of your ship? Are you pirates or are you fishermen? Everyone at the table laughed with genuine delight at the bombardment of innocent questions. We are humble hunters, madame. We all work on the same boat, and we all have one thing in common. We love to hunt monsters. Monsters? Charlotte said with awe. What kinds of monsters? All kinds, my dear. You see, there are almost too many to count. The Atterbane Sea, you know, she is called the Sea of Monsters. All manner of sea creatures can be considered monsters here. You mean like the Kraken? Charlotte asked. Have you seen one? Captain Kipps says they have beaks, like birds, but I don't think that's true. He says he knows because he nearly got eaten by one. The gentleman fell silent, as did everyone at the table and he gestured with one sweeping hand over to a person of Inish descent, red curls, sun-freckled skin, and a tartan sash across their chest. They had one brilliant green eye and an honest-to-God's pearl in the other socket. They raised their drink, took a large swig, and began their tale.
3: I ain't never seen Kraken actually eat a person, but I've seen sailors torn limb from limb. I've seen them drowned or beaten against the ship deck until there is nothing left but a chunky red paste. Kraken don't attack ships out of hunger or self-defense. They do it because they hate people, because they don't want us in their territory, and mostly because they can. They? Yes, I said they. Most folk will swear up and down that they're just one Kraken. Wishful thinking, but wishing don't make it true. And I know for a fact there's more than one.
0: How many are there?
3: There's three at least. I know. I seen them. My first time, we were with a small fleet closing in on a Castilian schooner, hoping for an easy mark, when a kraken got the same idea. Black-green tentacles shot out of the water on either side of the ship, taller than the mizzenmast and three times as big around. The crew fought. But what can you do against a beast bigger than your boat? The powder room went up with a big enough explosion to drive the monster away. But by the time it did, the ship was nothing but fire and floatsome. I lost my eye to the second kraken. What, you thought I was born with this Makara pearl in the socket? That monster was fleshy pink, and I swear it had thorns all over it, like some sort of sticker bush. We weren't as lucky that time. It was our ship that pissed off the beast. I washed up on shore, short an eyeball, but luckier than most. (laughs) Took me a year to get back into sailing shape. I'd hoped I'd seen the last of that Kraken. I wasn't that fortunate. I saw them again the last time I set foot on the deck of a ship, and the last time I set foot anywhere without the help of this crutch.
0: They gestured at it with their elbow before continuing.
3: That one was as red as sunset. Blotched all over with white like you see sometimes on wildcats in the jungle. I didn't see it long, but long enough to know it wasn't either of the others I'd run into. And by the way of the world, if there's three big nasties out there, chances are there are more. Most folk are fortunate enough never to see more than one. (laughs) Guess I'm just not that lucky.
0: Well, I think you'd give Lucky Sevens a run for his money. And everyone at the table shared a large laugh at that as they all raised their glasses in unison, clinked them all together in the middle of the table, and drank together. My big brother Charles told me that krakens sometimes hunt whales. He's shown me a picture of them and told me a story or two. Is that true? Are there whales big enough? At the mention of whales, a gentleman nestled into the corner of the booth perks up. The man was of Avalonian descent, with a large monocle propped into his eye and a bushy red mustache that wiggled when he talked.
2: Oh, you want to know about the great white whale, do you?
0: He took a dainty, doily cloth out of his coat pocket, popped the monocle out, and began to clean it as he continued.
2: Well, I suppose I could regale you with this story again.
0: The Rahuri woman, sitting across from him, rolled her eyes.
2: Ah, for the love of...
0: The man leaned in a bit closer so that Charlotte could hear him better, over her complaining.
2: Pardon my friends here. They've heard it probably a dozen times. You make
4: that three dozen, Clancy, and you might be getting halfway to how many times we've heard this blundering tale.
0: As the rest of the table muttered into their drinks, or tried to pretend not to hear, Charlotte only scooted slightly closer and leaned into the table. So you were a whaler? What was it like?
2: right, let me see now. I'd been with the ship a year at that point. I'd seen a dozen kinds of whales by that time. Cunning grampers stole in to tear at our catches with their dagger like teeth. Their black and white markings led some of the sailors to call them bandit whales, but their meanness and then the name killer. Blunt headed cachalots were our main quarry, squid tracing creatures with their brains full of wax and their bellies full of ambergris. Rorkel were less profitable, but also less work. Their docile natures made them easy hunting, and their size meant one kill would keep us working for weeks processing down the oil. They were the biggest whales I'd ever seen. The biggest I thought existed, until that day at least.
0: The man put his monocle in, and when he grinned, his mustache curled almost into a half-moon. He seemed to be oblivious, or perhaps ignoring them entirely, but the sailors around him began to mime every movement he made as he told the story.
2: The great white whale left the water like it was shot from a cannon. It rose up from the water's surface until its eye was staring at me dead on in my perch in the crow's mass. It hung there for what seemed like a lifetime, that giant eye just staring at me as the creature's body cast the whole ship in shadow. Then the whale turned over and fell back into the water, The wave it kicked up covered the entire ship, sweeping overboard anyone who wasn't fortunate enough to grab hold of something or strong enough to keep his grip. The ship rocked back and forth, chipping the crow's nest nearly down into the water as we rode through the whale-made waves. The great white whale's second attack hit us from beneath and shattered the ship into kindling faster than we could react. One minute I was crouching in the crow's nest, praying for my ancestors to watch over me. and the next, the entire mast broke and tumbled through the air like a misthrown spear. When the world stopped spinning, I scrambled up into the side of the turned crow's nest and scanned the horizon for the ship. The water was littered with broken bits and more broken bodies. Nothing bigger than one of the dinghies we used to go ashore to resupply remained. Well, thankfully, the whale didn't come back to bother us a third time. Now, I'm guessing it was more mad than hungry, and it had proven its point by destroying our ship. A handful of us made it back to the port by lashing together some of the debris into a makeshift raft, but that was the last time I went out whaling. And after that, I decided if I was going to risk it all, I ought to be getting paid better
5: for it.
0: Once more, all of the glasses made it to the center of the table. Clanked loudly together, and they all took a drink.
5: Yeah, "'Quiet down, Clancy. Let me tell you a little something about some real monsters out in the sea there,'
0: said a man sitting next to Clancy. Charlotte looked at him with inquisitive eyes. "'Real monsters? What could be worse than krakens and whales?'
5: I signed on with a crew that was hunting sea serpents next. While they made it clear that the work was dangerous— my share of the profits would be more than I'd made my entire stint whaling. Just for a few weeks' work. It sounded like a good deal to me. Then I was young and dumb and I thought I was going to live forever. <laughs> my family wasn't so pleased. Before the Thans made their way here, we were smart enough to leave the great sea snakes alone. Even the biggest don't have enough meat to warrant hunting. They've no blubber like whales, and their bones are too soft for crafting or art. Only their teeth and the poison they deliver with it have value, and the price paid to reap them is far too high for most. But Thane markets bring with them Thane profits, and greed is a powerful force. As I proved myself, sufficient Thane gold can buy young Rahuri bravery and stupidity in equal measures. We caught a single serpent on that first voyage. Its body was two or three times as long as I was tall. Sleek, blue-black, with a head only slightly wider than the rest of it. All in all, it seemed no more threatening than any snake that size might be, until it opened its mouth. I have no idea how it hit its fangs, as they were easily as long as my forearm and just as big around. The rest of its teeth were smaller, but no less sharp, and every one of them was stained yellow with thick, viscous poison that hissed and sizzled on the wooden deck. Merchants who financed the voyage sent their own people to harvest the venom, a precaution I was grateful for. (laughs) Scars left, in the ship's deck made me think twice about signing on again for such an endeavor.
0: Luckily, though said the old salty sailor who had lured Charlotte to the table in the first place. As all the drinks returned to their owners and were enjoyed, he looked at Charlotte and began to tell his story. Sea serpents aren't the only high-stakes hunting available for an enterprising young sailor. I myself spent a few years on a Makara crew, hunting them down for the pearls they grow in place of teeth. Like the one they got right there. He gestured over to his innish friend, who nodded and clinked glasses with him. Makara aren't big, not by sea monster standards anyways, but they're smart. And that, along with their horns and hooves, makes them dangerous. There's all kinds of Makara, just like sea snakes and whales. The most common ones look a bit like a sheep or a goat from the front, only way bigger. They have horns and long noses, like an elephant that they can use to grab things. People, their back ends are like fish, or sometimes like a snake. They breathe air, but can dive deep, and they use their powerful tails to launch themselves up out of the water. And onto rocky outcroppings, using their hooved forelegs to pull themselves into place so they can bask in the sun. Now, Makara like rough seas, places where there's deep water and steep cliffs, which is why most folks will never see one. They scrape loose lichen and seagrass from the rocks, sharpening their hooves and horns on the stone in the process. When they get spooked, they dive deep. Trusting that most predators can't maneuver in the turbulent breakers as well as they can. This makes hunting them no easy task. They're nigh impossible to sneak up on them by land. Even if we managed to get onto the opposite side of the little islands they were so fond of, they almost always heard us coming. Shooting them from the water wasn't any better. At the first sight of attack, they leapt for the water and were gone. Pearls and all. Best strategy we'd found was firing nets out of cannons at them while they slept up on the rocks, and hoping it kept them in place long enough for a crew on the far side of the outcrop and to scramble over and pull them down. Even this wasn't easy, though. Those horns and hooves were sharp enough to work through our nets in a hurry. And even if we made it before they got free, they'd turn the same on us, given a chance. Still... Pearls is pearls. And I've never seen prettier than Makara teeth. The glasses raised, met, and separated again. Of course, now we don't need to hunt them so much no more. You just go to Makaro and ask nicely. I hear talk of new prospects of them looking for Makara doctors. You lot might be looking at the very first Makara dentist. Hehehe. <laughs> More laughs were shared at the table. With all the talk of monsters and dangers of the Atabayan, Charlotte sat in her seat, unsure of what to say or what to do. She didn't have any scary stories about monsters. The she were terrifying in certain circumstances, but she had never interacted with them. She only knew what her brother told her, which very well could have just been scary stories told to her so that she would go to sleep. The Montaigne gentleman took notice of this. Now, my dear, don't look so worried. Not everything out there in the great dark seas is out to get you. There's some benevolence out there as well. You mean like good monsters? I mean, I've heard tale of sailors rescued by dolphins after a shipwreck. The friendly fishes swam right underneath them and ferried them to the shore where they'd surely have drowned otherwise. Some of them claim that the dolphins even waited with them in the shallows until they woke up enough to clamber onto the beach on their own. What kind of sea monster would do that, am I right? Well, of course. Dolphins aren't monsters. Of course. Those are the same folk who sometimes claim the dolphins took human form and made sweet, sweet love to them before shifting back into fishes and returning to the sea. So... Who knows how crazy the truth might really be. My point is, not everything out there is evil or even dangerous. I saw Mama Tortue once with my own eyes. It was way off in the distance. At first I thought it was an enchanted island. I mean, it looked for other world like a big old hill out where nothing was supposed to be with bushes and rocks. Even trees growing on it. Then I realized it. She... She was moving. And with a quickness. Before I could cut down to have the Navigator charge our course, she practically was out of sight. Even with the Spaglass. We'd have never caught up with her. Even with our sails full unfurled. But I swear, before she disappeared, she arched her head up out of the water and turned her long neck to look full at me. For a moment, I couldn't even breathe. I mean, how often do you get to look into the eyes of a goddess and have her look right back at you? She blinked one time, slow, like it was some kind of message. Then she turned back the way she was heading, and disappeared over the horizon. The glasses gathered round to reminisce in the center of the table, and the Montaigne gentleman took a long drag of his cigarette as well. (sighs) Ah, Her eyes were as green as seaweed. It was years ago now, but you don't forget something like that. You never forget. And he winked at Charlotte. Charlotte giggled, blushed a little bit. I think of all the monsters you've talked about so far, I'd like to meet Mama Tortue. She sounds really nice. And I like turtles. Finally, the Rahuri woman caught Charlotte's eye.
4: Someday you might get lucky enough to encounter her yourself. Or maybe you'll run into him instead.
0: Everyone at the table looked at each other and then looked at the woman and all said at the same time, Him who?
4: Yum yeah, who? They're talking about Tibarone, of course. De Reaper, De Protector, De Great Shark of the Sea.
0: Some of the sailors nodded in understanding. Others still rolled their eyes and scoffed under their breath. Charlotte stared at the woman. You mean the King of Monsters?
4: He's the Master of Monsters. Attended by schools of creatures that make the other things we've told you about seem like guppies in comparison. Grey gulper eels with mouths so big they can swallow a schooner whole. Cayman, that sing with the voices of sirens, luring sailors to jump in the water and be consumed. Luska, huge sharks with octopus tentacles protruding from their bellies. Toxic tides that engulf ships and poison the air, so the crew can't breathe. Even the bojiba, the lobster who never dies, serves Tibaron as he patrols the bottom of every ocean, knowing that the Maw who consumes is the only creature capable of devouring even here.
0: Oh, there can't be a creature that big Said the old salty dog, a little breathless and flustered. Not no way, not no how. The Rahuri woman's smile only widened.
4: Oh, I know your people don't believe in him. But we hurry no better. And if you want to take to the sea, you will learn. The sea is life, the sea is death. It is our word and our guardian. That which gives us life, and that which snatches it away just as quickly. And Tiberon, Baron, whether he swims beneath your fleets or walks beside you without you knowing his identity, is the sea embodied. He has ordered me rise from the depths, from your darkest nightmares, to consume you whole, without mercy. Know this, and you will finally know the sea as we know it. If you take to the ocean, you will find my words to be true in time. The bounties awaiting there are endless, but so is the suffering you will endure should you not respect that which you encounter there. Baron is merely the most obvious end you can meet. There are far worse fates than even his sharp maw.
0: All of the drinks were gathered in the center of the table, made hollow sounds, and returned to be emptied. Charlotte shivered in her seat, and not because it was cold in the bucket of blood. I hope you don't mind me joining ya," said Adetokumbo, who loomed like a shadow over the table. Everyone at the table jumped, regardless of how old they were or what they had seen. Adetokumbo's face was not a friendly one. I wanted to hear the story that's got little Charlotte shaking in her boots. Continue all at once. They all cleared their throats, rubbed the back of their heads, or performed some other nervous gesture as all of them got up to flee the table, saying their goodbyes, apologizing profusely, and walking away as quickly as they could in the crowded bar. The Montaigne gentleman merely laughed, I am sorry. We did not mean to scare you. Charlotte giggled slightly, in spite of herself. (laughs) No, it's okay. Charles leaves all the bad parts out of his monster stories. I know it's to protect me, but how will I know if I don't know? You know? I could not have said it better myself. My hope for you, little one, is that it remains a story and that you never have to come across any of these terrifying things. Perhaps if I see Mama Tortue again, I will tell her to come and see you. He gave another wink to Charlotte, who giggled, and he walked away, leaving a handsome sack of coins on the table. Gamma, Charlotte, I have good news for you, said Adidakumbo, looking down at Charlotte with a grin. What's that, Adidakumbo? I hear tell that the rose is coming its way back to us. Charlotte lit up brighter than a bonfire. That means that Charles will be home soon. That's right. And I believe I just got a fresh shipment of sugar. There was a gleam in Charlotte's eyes that even a keen cutlass would be jealous of. And Charlotte, like a shot, bolted from the booth, and disappeared into the crowd. And there you have it. I hope you've enjoyed this Newton episode about monsters. Everything that you have heard is from the Pirate Nation's book, specifically the stories between pages 187 and 193, told to you by us, written by the good people at John Wick Presents and Chaosium Inc., The only part of the story I own is Charlotte and the story that I wrote to tell these stories. And as always, if you have any more questions, feel free to ask them in our Discord, Hands of the Rose, or ask us on our Twitter, at writersroom7th. Hashtag NWTN, query. And we'll answer it to the best of our ability. And speaking of questions, I think we have a few to go over. So if you'll join me next time, Patrick, myself, and I will answer more of your questions that you've already asked. So we'll see you then. There's monsters out there. Be safe and well.